Well, good morning. You know, I was just listening to Felix there, and uh, I said to someone, one of our team, you know, they, he's got like a radio voice, hasn't he? And they said, yeah, Pastor Jeff, you have a face for radio. <laughs> and everybody said... You're so rude. <laughs> I've uh, mentioned recently that we need to be people of Scripture. Uh, understanding Scripture is not just a pious devotional habit, it's a survival strategy these days. And uh, I write these daily Bible reading notes, Life with Lucas, that come out every quarter. And the, the, the new one for January the 1st onwards, if you want to make a New Year's resolution, is it's in the bookstore now. And what it is, uh, I've done a study on the town of Capernaum. Capernaum is the one place on earth where Jesus shared more miracles and more teaching than anywhere else on earth. And so I spent time just looking at that, and uh, these are available now. And, you know, I don't like to overstate the value of my stuff, you know. <laughs> but it is God's will that you buy it. <laughs> All right. So, just kidding. All right, Promises Kept, that's our Advent series. We're thinking about the promised friend this weekend. We thought about the promised star, the promised shepherd, the promised friend now. Now, now what, what we're doing here is we're looking at the familiar nativity event through the eyes of the Old Testament. Now, we're doing that because it gives us a different camera angle, but actually what we're doing is a very biblical thing to do. Jesus did what we are doing. On the road to Emmaus on Resurrection Day, the two were walking home. Jesus appeared, and we read there that at the beginning, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. When we look at the Old Testament to see what it says about the promised Jesus, we're doing what Jesus did in regard to himself. And no less than three times in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul did exactly the same thing. So that's what this is really all about. Well, we're going to um, read as we're thinking about the promised friend. My friend Matt is floating around somewhere. Here he is. And he's going to come and help me because I'm going to sing the entire sermon. <laughs> Fear not, little flock. I'm kidding. Isaiah 7 talks about the promise. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. That's the promise made 700 years before Christ was born. Now Matthew, writing his gospel, he wants us to know the promise has been fulfilled. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And later we read all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Friendship is something that we all hunger for. And, and a simple definition of friendship in just a few words would be someone 
who is with us. It's a popular notion, and we all want friends. So Matt is here because we're going to play Name That Tune. Because the idea of friendship is popular in television, show themes and songs. So I, I wonder if you could name this tune. Cheers. Sometimes you want to go where everyone knows your name and they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see troubles are all the same. You want to go where everyone knows your name. All right, here's another one. So no one told you life was going to be this way. Your job's a joke, you're broke, your love life's DOA. It's like you're always stuck in second gear, but when it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year, I'll be there for you when the rain starts to fall. I'll be there for you like I've been there before. All right, here's the third one. If you get all three, you win the new car. Funny, I'm seeing a lot of head nodding going on, you know. Lean on me. When you're not strong and I'll be your friend, I'll help you carry on. For it won't be long till I'm going to need somebody to lean on. Why don't you say thanks? Let's say thanks to my friend Matt. So friendship, it's a, it's a very popular notion, is it? But, isn't it? But it, it's also, can I suggest, a somewhat devalued word, friend. Uh, for example, specifically on social media, if you're on Facebook, did you know that those friends are not sending you money for Christmas this year? We can use the word friend very very cheaply. And generally, friendship is, can often be a kind of vague sense of getting along with someone, maybe wanting to go places sometimes with them. So when we hear Jesus talk about friendship, it's important that we move beyond our modern concept and go back to the cultural expectation of friendship in his day. Jürgen Moltmann, uh, taught, a theologian, taught that um, friendship was something of much greater depth back then. He said it was about condoning a sense of equals, mutuality, and support. And I love this phrase that Maltman uses. Friendship unites affection with respect. It was uh, Henri Nguyen who said, Friendship is one of the greatest gifts a human being can receive. It is a bond beyond common goals, common interests, or common histories. It is a bond stronger than sexual union can create, deeper than a shared fate can solidify, and even more intimate than the bonds of marriage or community. Friendship is being with the other in joy and sorrow, even when we cannot increase the joy or decrease the sorrow. It's a unity of souls that gives nobility and sincerity 
sincerity, to love. Friendship makes all of life shine brightly. Blessed are those who lay down their lives for their friends. So this is what Jesus says that he wants to be to us, a friend faithfully with us. And when we turn to Isaiah's prophecy, when we look at that, we realize that the promise of a son born was partially fulfilled in Isaiah's time. The word virgin used in Isaiah 7 just means a young woman. It means something different in Matthew's gospel. But a promise was given of a son that would be born that would be a sign. And that was initially Isaiah's own son. Uh, he had a child and they called this child Malahalashazbaz. <laughs> I am not making that up. Malahalashazbaz. And you're probably thinking, that's a really weird name. Would you like to know what it means? In the Hebrew, Malahalashazbaz means, what was my parents thinking when they gave me this name? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Some of you were writing that down, bless your hearts. No, it's a, it doesn't matter what it means, but the reality is that there was a partial fulfillment of that prophecy in Isaiah's time, but it was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. You say, how can a prophecy be fulfilled twice? Well, the word fulfilled in the New Testament means to fill something up to fullness. It's used to describe nets that were full of fish. So it's partially fulfilled in Isaiah's time, ultimately fulfilled in Jesus as he is born, yes, of the Virgin Mary. And he's described as the one who is Emmanuel. You say, well, his name was Jesus, not Emmanuel. Emmanuel, Emmanuel speaks not of a name given to him, but what he did, God with us. God with us, the promised friend. If there's one sentence that sums up the heart of Christianity, it's this, walking in friendship with Jesus. It's not about religion. It's about walking in friendship. In fact, let me take one step further. The very purpose of humanity, the reason every one of us watching online in this building has a pulse, for this we were created to walk in friendship with Jesus. I'm going to take a step further. If every person on planet Earth walked in friendship with Jesus, every problem of humanity would be solved. Every problem. You say, you say, hold on a minute. Surely there's been a lot of damage done by religion. You're absolutely right. I'm not talking religion. I'm talking walking in authentic friendship with Jesus. This really Matters. So let's have a think about this as we think about Jesus is our friend or wants to be. Jesus is the friend who, first of all, is Messiah who offers us a stunning blessing. You see, when Jesus talked about friendship with his disciples, they would have understood what he was saying in a way that might not be immediately obvious to us. First of all, as he talked about this, he was identifying himself as Messiah. Throughout the Old Testament, there was this concept of joy coming in its fullness 
when Messiah came. So what do we read? John 15, I have told you this, Jesus says, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The disciples hear that, they go, whoa, Messiah. An example of this in the Old Testament is Isaiah 25. This is the Lord, we trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Joy equals Messiah. But then... Jesus the Messiah goes on and says something absolutely stunning. He says, Greater lovers, no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. You might think, that's nice. There is only one person in Bible history who is called, until this point, a friend of God. Moses is described as someone who talked with God like a friend, but only one person is called a friend of God, Abraham. Abraham. Isaiah 41, verse 8, Abraham, my friend. James chapter 2 celebrates this truth. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. When the disciples heard Jesus the Messiah say, you are my friends, they're going, wow, he is saying that God looks at us just like he looked at Abraham. This is remarkable. A privilege known only to one man in history, now made available to them and to you and me. Who do you think you are? tell you who you are. In Christ, your identity is fabulous. And we need to affirm our identity in Christ because the Lord knows that identity will be challenged in spiritual warfare. This is my beloved son, cries the Father from heaven over Jesus at baptism, Luke chapter 3. If you are the son of God, says Satan, trying to undermine that sense of prophetic identity. We need to know who we are. I've talked about this uh, previously, forgive me. Uh, Kay and I, we always watch the same kind of movies. We're going to do it again this afternoon. We have a we said it's Christmas movie time. So we watch the same movies, and uh, they always end the same, surprisingly. And uh, I kind of like Lion King. I like Lion King. And, and I've shared this illustration before. In Lion King, remember, how many have seen Lion King on the theater or movies here? There's the evil scar. Everyone hiss. Nicely done. <laughs> There's evil scar. challenges little Simba, the son of the good king Mufasa. And there's a battle and Simba is intimidated and then Mufasa speaks from a cloud. Simba! Simba! You are my son! You have forgotten who you are, Simba! You are my son! Been practicing that all week. Thanks for that overwhelming response. (laughs) Fantastic. And Simba marches back to the Pride Land to restore law and 
order. Have you, have I, have we forgotten who we are in Christ? Friends related to God like Abraham was amazing. Secondly, Jesus is the friend who is close and comes running when we call. He's close and comes running when we call. Another one of my favorite songs, talking about songs, is, is From a Distance, From a Distance, Bette Midler, you know the song? God is watching us from a distance. Cute song, terrible theology. Because God is not just out there, he is right here. It was uh, Dallas Willard who says, some think that God is a Wizard of Oz type being sitting in a location very remote from us. The universe is then presented to us chiefly as a vast empty space with a humanoid God and a few angels rattling around in it. Of such a God, we can only say good riddance. It seems that when many people pray, they do have such an image of God in their minds. They therefore find praying psychologically impossible or extremely difficult and no wonder. Where do we get this idea that God is the man upstairs? We get it sometimes from a mistranslation of the Lord's Prayer where we say our Father who is in... A better translation would be our Father who is in the heavens. And the first heaven, biblically, is the air immediately surrounding your body. He is out there, and he is right here. And if we don't get that, prayer becomes a long-distance call, even worse, a bit like lobbing snowballs at the moon. God is close, and not only that, he comes running when we call. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the prodigal son story, and there's a very shocking, shocking to Jewish ears, ancient Jewish years, there's a very shocking moment in the prodigal son story. Again, talked about this before, but when the prodigal son comes home, what do we read? While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. When people heard Jesus say that, they would have drawn breath. Why? Because in ancient culture, no man would ever run. It was undignified and not practical. They had long gowns that went over their toes, so to run would be awkward, and you could not lift your robe to run and expose your legs. Culturally, that would be like walking naked in the street. The Pharisees taught that if a man discovered a sparrow, I'm not making this up, a sparrow beneath his cloak on the Sabbath, he had to leave it there all day. Awkward. Imagine being in church, you know. What's the matter, Pastor Jeff? Sorry, I got a sparrow in my shorts, you know. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's this is so shocking that the Arabic translation of Luke 15, for a thousand years, edited out, he ran, and simply said, he went. Because this is shocking. So why does Jesus have the father running in the story, and then when he reaches the son, he says, quick, 
bring the ring, bring the robe. Why does dad run and why does he, what's the big hurry? Well, back in those days, if a family member disgraced their family and then tried to return to their home village and the villagers heard about it, they would try and intercept the returning prodigal and they had a ceremony called the Kazaza ceremony. Every one of Jesus' listeners would have known about this. The Kazazar ceremony, they would gather, they would face up the returning prodigal, they would put corn and parched nuts um, in a jar, they would hold it in his or her face, they would smash the jar into as many pieces as possible, and they would say, our relationship with you is as broken and irretrievable as the broken parts of this jar. You are dead to us from now on. So why does the father run? Why does he say quick? Because he wants to get there first before the ceremony of judgment. Ladies and gentlemen, in Jesus, grace wins the race over judgment. That is really good news. Really good news. He runs. He runs. Over the course of the last few weekends, it's happened again this weekend, we've had the privilege of witnessing people coming to make a first-time commitment to Jesus. It's going to happen again today. It's already been happening. It's going to happen again in this service. And if we call on the name of the Lord, he comes running. He comes running. Thirdly, Jesus is the friend who shares his secrets with us. He shares his secrets with us. He says, John 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. Now, we might think secrets, that sounds a little weird. But actually, the New Testament repeatedly uses the idea of mystery or secret to describe the gospel. So the Apostle Paul, writing in Colossians, says, This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it's been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know the riches and glory of Christ are for you, you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you the assurance of sharing his glory. I think we know, don't we, that to many people around us, the real meaning of Christmas is still a secret. And guess what, fellow followers of Jesus, if you're one of those, that secret has been revealed to us and we need to pass the news on. That's one of the reasons that we've been emphasizing inviting people to our Christmas Eve services. Again, this weekend, we've got those little invitations available and you can get some on your way out to take to a friend or pop into a Christmas card or three. And just do that. That's why this coming Wednesday, we've got this prodigal's prayer event. I'm going to be leading that. It's going to be an hour, an hour and 15 minutes of prayer and worship. I'm going to share some teaching on prodigals coming home. And then we're going to take first names and we're going to write them and we're going to put them on a cross and we're going to pray for them. And you may never come to church on a Wednesday night. It's never been part of your life. Well, why not break the habit of a lifetime? Maybe you've got friends coming, family members coming to be with you at Christmas. Why not come and pray for them ahead of time? Uh, so also, in addition to this, on Christmas Eve itself, 
we're inviting Timberline family members to maybe attend one service and pray for one service. Just come along, but also take some time to pray. We want to share the so-called secret of the gospel. Fourthly, Jesus is the friend who calls us to love others as we have been loved. He says this, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. John was so impacted by those words that he repeats them in his epistle, 1 John chapter 3. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. How many would you agree with me? In, in your experience, in mine, hasn't Jesus been so patient? Anybody agree? So kind, so caring. It's just amazing. And we don't just admire that. We are called by the Lord in the power of the Spirit to emulate that, to love with grace and self-sacrifice and tenacity. Somebody came into the office this week, the office here, and they said, they said that they were noticing that people are driving angrier at the moment. Would anyone agree with that? It just, it just seems like people are just, you know, get out of my road. And I tremble when I go to Santerra. <laughs> For lo and yea verily, at Santerra they have roundabouts. I've talked of this before. This is a problem, American friends. I love you. However, a roundabout is not a four-way stop. Yield to the left, beloved. If there's someone coming around the roundabout, they have the right. I don't care that you got there first. I don't care that this is America, it's my road. Get out of my road, I break your face. I've met hostility at Santerra with people shaking their fists and sharing gesticulations. Can we be kinder? Uh, and by the way, you may not know this, but election year cometh. Oh yeah, baby. You know what? That means that good Christian people are going to start ranting. And they're going to start dismissing people from the other party. And they're going to say, I don't even know how you can be a Christian and vote for that party. And we're going to be nasty and mean and horrible and we're going to rant or are we? Could we model something different? Could we? Now I can say this, you see, because I've not got my citizenship yet, so I, I, can't, I can't even vote. I'm still going into hiding on the 4th of July, so I can say this. And I'm not talking about, it's the, the, the issue here is not which political party you vote for. The issue here is Christian character. How many believe that we are followers of Jesus before we are members of the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or any other party? Our primary identity is followers of Jesus. I'm getting a little bit excited here. So let's play nice and let's love each other. 
I get scared when people come to me, Christians come to me sometimes, they say, Pastor Jeff, I need to say something to you in love. I'm like, show me the nearest nuclear fallout shelter. That's been nice. Well, the last thing is this. Jesus promises that we will never, ever be alone again. This is friendship forever. Matthew's gospel begins with, I am with you, Emmanuel. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Matthew's gospel ends with, I am with you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. A theme of Matthew's gospel is what one writer describes as the being with us of God forever, forever. Now, I just want to be honest with you. Heaven used to worry me because I thought we were going to just sing songs for billions of years. Now, I love to worship. In fact, I am convinced that at Timberline, we need to worship with greater energy and passion and expression because he's worth it. But I've been in those worship services where I thought we are never gonna, we're never going to stop singing. And how come we just sang that song 27 times? I'm losing the will to live. And I, I was in one worship, and we, we were singing for like a good hour, and we were, we were starting to flag, and the worship leader was getting irritated. And he was like, come on, people. Jesus is worthy. The stones will cry out if you don't worship. And we're like, oh. And then, just when we thought it was coming to an end and we could sit down, he said, do you know heaven's going to be just like this, only longer? And I'm like, beam me up, Scotty. There's going to be a lot of worship and singing in heaven, but one writer put it like this, eternity with Christ is unending togetherness. We will be with him. The Bible begins with God strolling in the Garden of Eden. And it ends in the Garden of Revelation. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. There it is again and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Endless togetherness. And I pray that that'll be a comfort to you. All right. Sermon's done. My friend Matt is coming back to protest because I've just been saying stuff about worship and not really. Sermon's over, but there's something, one last postscript that I need to share that kind of flows out of this, but it's not part of this message. So this is extra. This is free. And for some of you, what I'm about to say will mean nothing at all. And for one or two of you, you won't remember anything else about this morning apart from what I'm about to say. That's a grandiose statement, but... Yesterday I was in my study and I like to listen to Bible teachers and 
I want to be a lifelong learner. I was listening to Dallas Willard. He's with Jesus now. But I was listening to a video of him teaching on the ironic blessing. You know that blessing in the Old Testament? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Beautiful. And Dallas Willard was saying, what does that mean? The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you. That's kind of wordy. What does that mean? And he said, basically what it means is, the Lord look right at you with a shining face. That's what it means. So that was yesterday. The Lord look at you with a shining face. This morning, my alarm clock went off at 5.30. Actually, my three alarm clocks went off at 5.30 because I live, I actually have dreams about you sitting here and them all saying, where's the pastor gone? I actually have nightmares about, so I have three alarms. My wife is so happy. I woke up this morning and I went into my study. Now, I've got, you, you may not know this, but preachers, when they're preaching, they often have an internal conversation. You know, I'm thinking, what's that guy, what's that guy doing over there? And, and why, is, why is he looking at me with a mean look? And, 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 and why is he wearing his hair like that? And who am I to judge? So I'm having an internal conversation right now, Timberline family, and it goes like this. You're going to be vulnerable, Jeff, and they're going to think that you're looking for sympathy. But it isn't. I told Jesus this morning that for 13 reasons, including the sickness my wife has been navigating, this has been a horrible year. And I told Jesus this morning that I had to come and talk to you and I had to share this three times and I didn't fill up to it. And I told him that while many are marching to Christmas or skipping to Christmas or dancing towards Christmas, I said to Jesus, I am limping towards Christmas this year, Jesus. And as soon as I said that, a weird Bible story flew into my mind. I've never preached on it. It's the story of Mephibosheth. He was the grandson of King Saul, David's arch enemy, the son of Jonathan, David's best friend. Mephibosheth, the Bible tells us, was dropped as a baby. The Bible says, forgive the non-politically correct language, he was lame in both feet. He had a major disability. David brings in this disabled man and Mephibosheth is scared because he thinks he's going to die. He's the grandson of David's nemesis, Saul. And David says, don't be afraid. And Mephibosheth says this, why would you take notice of me? Why would you look at me? For I am but a dead dog. And David says, no. From now on, you're going to eat at my table. You're going to be like a son to me. So yesterday, I've got the Lord look at you with a face that shines. And this morning, I've got Jesus, I'm limping. 
I'm like a dead dog. I don't think I can do this today. And Jesus says, you're not a dead dog. You're still my child. And some of you are limping towards Christmas. And you don't want to put the decorations up this year. But you are no dead dog. And it's all right to limp. Because even when you limp, you can still follow. So I share that with you. And I know what's going to happen this afternoon, and our time is gone, and you're going to be late, and oh my goodness. I know what's going to happen this afternoon, because I'm going to get back home to Kay, and I'm going to say, Sister Kay, because I always call her sister. No, I don't. I'm going to say, Kay, I told him stuff that I probably shouldn't have said. Because Brené Brown talks about vulnerability hangover. But if you're limping, I pray that just as Mephibosheth was surprised and sat down at the table to feast, that Jesus will surprise you this Christmas. So let's pray. Jesus, you are amazing and wonderful and beautiful. We thank you because you know us you care for us and for those who limp you look right at them with your face shining as our heads are bowed if you're limping towards Christmas this year I want to include you in this prayer can you just slip up your hand if that's you and you can put your hand down would you comfort these dear people would you surprise them would you surprise them that it's okay for them to limp? But they're no dead dog. They are daughters and sons of yours if they are in Christ. Would you surprise them? Look at them with your face shining. Thank you that you do that. Before we close with, with a song, I want to give an opportunity again for people to make a commitment to Jesus because friendship is a two-way street. He offers us friendship, but he doesn't force himself upon us. Like any friendship, it's a two-way thing. And I want to give an opportunity for some today to make that commitment to say, I want to be a friend, a follower of Jesus. I decide today I want to be a Christian. So here's the moment. If you want to do that, I'm going to whisper a prayer. I invite you to join with me by sharing and whisper it yourself. It goes like this if you're ready. Jesus, I come to you now and I choose to be your follower today. I, I want us to be friends. I want you to take charge. I ask you to forgive me. And at this moment, I invite you now to come into my life. Not just to bless me, but to take charge in a rule 
of love. And I want to follow you all my days. And sometimes I'll sprint and run and sometimes I'll limp, but I want to follow you. Now let's just keep our heads bowed for one more moment. If you've just prayed that prayer because you would like to become a friend and follower of Jesus, you're making that step. That's what a Christian is, someone who's made that step and is now a disciple and follower of Jesus. If you've just done that, can I ask you just to hold up your hand for a moment, please? Just slip up your hand and then wait. Just wave so I can see it because there are people, again, around the building, over on my left and at the back there and in the middle. Just wave at me so I can see you, please. Thank you over here as well. That's so wonderful. You can put your hands down. Reveal yourself to each one, we pray, Jesus. We give you thanks for every one of them. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, and you know what? Because he's the best friend, once again, there are people, because of his work and the work of his Holy Spirit, who in the last 60 seconds have just decided to join in friendship with him. Can we celebrate that? That's really worth celebrating. I invite you to stand with me if you're able. Let's celebrate that friendship we have with him. Our prayer team will be available to you at the conclusion of our service. If you prayed that prayer with Pastor Jeff, I 
ask you, please take a moment to pray with somebody up over here. And also, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, they have a resource to put in your hands so you can learn more about what's my next step now that I'm a friend with God. And don't forget, on your way out, to grab one of the invitations so you can grab that and use that to pass out to a friend or family member or put in your Christmas card. Now, as our benediction, allow me to read to you numbers six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you as you go in peace.